You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello once again everybody. Today we are talking movies as it's time for the 5th annual Scheist Film Awards. Okay, we are back. It's been a while. Uh but this is maybe not my favorite time of the year, but in terms of film and movies it's an exciting time it's the end of award season and that means it's time for the shite film awards the first time we're going to do it on the podcast at some point i'm probably going to have to make a video version of this podcast but for the time being we're just going to do audio and for uh for those who are being introduced to the Scheist Film Awards for the first time. This is the fifth, the fifth annual uh, version of this. We don't rent out a hotel lobby and fill it with celebrities or anything like that, but we should. From your mouth to God's ears, babe. <laughs> if Diet Coke sponsors me and pays me enough, we'll put that money towards an award show. Let's do it. Yeah. It could be the sixth annual Scheist Film Awards next year brought to you by Diet Coke. <laughs> it could be, but it's not going to be because Diet Coke is not listening. They're No, they're definitely not listening. And they're they're like above my station right now. But I do love Diet Coke. Let's just put it in the universe. There's no harm with that. Fine. All right. I'm going to tag Diet Coke when I post this. Say sponsor me. And we'll go from there. And I'm just going to hound them to sponsor me until they do. Sounds good. Okay. So this is, yes, the fifth time in a row. The fifth uh, the fifth version of this show. It's uh, evolving constantly. Because each year I learn and I try and change some things. So a couple years ago, like I used to do best... Oh, sorry. Uh, there's a lot of best ofs because that's what this show is about. Uh, but what I used to do was I threw in some worst ofs. So like worst movie, most disappointing, things like that. I don't do that anymore because I don't want to tear anything down. There's plenty of people are out there that already do that. There's, you know, entire YouTube pages and accounts that have thousands upon thousands, if not millions of followers that uh, just tear things down for the sake of tearing them down. Uh, and that's not what I want to do. Uh, and then, you know, it's not easy to make a movie. And I don't think anybody sets out to make a bad movie either. So, for those people, we're just gonna, we're gonna talk about the things I love rather than the things I don't. Uh, and then maybe if I'm doing the other show that was initially the whole idea for this podcast years ago, where we talk about bad movies we love. That's that's an appropriate time to talk about things I don't like. 
But now we're just going to talk about things I do. And it's a different movie landscape than it used to be. So streaming is a big part of our lives. More movies have gone to streaming. Two, three of the Best Picture nominees are uh, from streaming services, I believe. Just off the top of my head, it's yeah, Don't Look Up, Coda, and Power of the Dog are all streamers. So, you know, it's a changing landscape. And let's start there. Lead us off. Best of streaming? Best of streaming. So what's first on that list? Um, Hulu. Hulu. So I didn't want to pick the Mel Gibson movie because Mel Gibson's track record publicly hasn't been the shiniest. Uh, But in terms of what Hulu has to offer movie-wise, I'm gonna say Boss Level was the best thing that I saw on Hulu. You can you can look at me and say no, but we we watched False Positive and it was original and it it had its things going for it, but ultimately not the best thing on Hulu. And we couldn't make it even through Plan B. We tried to watch it and stopped and then just never went back to it. And with Boss Level, it's derivative in the sense that hey, it's not the first uh it's not the first time that we've seen a time loop movie with the character learning from each iteration of that time loop and trying to break out of the cycle. Uh, but it's self-aware in that way, and it has fun with it. And like Frank Grillo's in the lead, so it's just like kind of like a machismo action flick in that way. Uh, but you got Naomi Watts in there as well, so I'm gonna say boss level. It, it was fun. I can't, I can't. I can't hate on it too much. Michelle Yeoh as well is in that film. Uh, so yeah, boss level. Enjoy. It's on Hulu. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Yeah. Amazon. Best of Amazon. I'm gonna say being the Ricardos. Oh yeah. Although it wasn't listed as an Amazon original, because Amazon bought the distribution rights. And it was in the theaters. It was, but it was put into the theaters by Amazon, who bought the distribution rights. So they oh. bought its uh, distribution into theaters as well, but then also paid to have exclusivity. So it wasn't Amazon uh, Studios exactly that was the production company, but their distributor. So I think it counts. It's close enough, I think, in this instance where I'm going to leave it there at least. And it was good. Uh, Nicole Kidman is nominated for Best Actress. I think Javier Bardem also got nominated for Supporting. No, he didn't. It was J.K. Simmons that got nominated for Supporting. So you have two roles that are at the top of the, the Oscar charts there. And I grew up with I Love Lucy. So seeing this, uh, seeing a different side of the TV persona was very interesting you learn about like how she got into 
doing the show, like what she was doing beforehand. Like she was almost like the next big Hollywood starlet at one point. And she ended up going this route and doing comedy, which was not exactly going to, it wasn't like her plan. So there's a lot of interesting Hollywood history there, including her, uh, her issues with being a registered communist at one point. So very interesting. Uh, Nicole Kidman is great as she always is. Uh, she's got a decent chance to win. Um, well, I guess we'll get to that later though. It's a tough category for her, but she's great. So being the Ricardos, especially if you enjoy, I love Lucy, uh, or if you just grew up with it, like I did, I'm not that old, but it was on in my house all the time syndication goes a long way same nick at night yeah and i still love it today like if it's on i can still watch it it's still good yeah it hasn't aged out of itself yeah because it it stays to the dynamics of their relationship and their relationship with their friends so it's like even though like it's not modern the the universals translate pretty well okay what's next hbo max the best of HBO Max, I gave it to the Snyder Cut. Zack Snyder's Justice League. It was uh, an improvement from the Justice League that came out before it. And looking at the list of competition, I just couldn't come up with anything better than that. And I enjoyed it. Uh, like It kind of patched some holes that existed in the initial Justice League. And I think it was also an interesting case of the fans' uh, unwillingness to relent on the idea that this movie needs to be out there. Like When Justice League initially came out, uh, Snyder had stepped away from the project, Joss Whedon had come in and finished the movie, and, you know, the response wasn't great. It didn't do well. Uh, and so there was this just this push for the Snyder League, the sorry, not Snyder League, uh, the Snyder Cut, for many many years, and eventually it got done. And because of the nature of uh, streaming at the time, it just it, it was an easier avenue for HBO Max to allow Zack Snyder to come and rework this project. And from there, it was lower risk to not release it into theaters and, like, have it be a bomb again. And so, like, four years after the original Justice League comes out, like, this this fervent fan energy that drove this campaign to the point where Warner and HBO were just like, all right, let's do it. And so that's where they ended up. And I think, you know, worth the wait in some aspects. Uh... It, much longer and I think especially in conjunction if you watch the extended version of uh, Dawn of Justice which also released on HBO Max like right before that they go better together and so you kind of see what the DC universe like could have been what it was trying to be uh, instead of what it currently is so Justice League Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. What else? Uh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Luca. We haven't seen it, but looking at 
what's available on Disney Plus that was a like a Disney Plus original. I don't see how it's not Luca. Uh, we'll watch that first. And, you know, we just talked to my sister today about how much she enjoyed it and how it's uh, a little bit more robust and complex than Encanto. So we'll see they're competing with each other. And I think maybe Rhea is also in there, but I don't remember if that had a theatrical release. But for now, I'm just going to say Luca. I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, me too. All right. All right, what's next? Apple TV+. Plus. Apple TV Plus. Uh, so even though Macbeth uh, got a lot of love, its official release came in after the deadline. So Macbeth is out of the running, at least for what we're doing. And where is my list? And I liked, I saw actually most of all of these. The only one we didn't see on Apple TV that was an original from 2021 was Finch, the mm. Tom Hanks robot movie. And as much as I want to see that, I don't think it's, it would have swayed my decision. And I ended up choosing Come From Away. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. yeah! We love Come From Away. It is the Broadway musical filmed for the, I guess, theater experience. But filmed as a film, similar to what Disney did with Hamilton last year, which I gave Disney best, or I gave Hamilton the best Disney original award last year. And even though I like Swan Song, and Swan Song is much more up my alley in terms of uh, what that movie is, and even though Coda is nominated for Best Picture, like Come From Away is just different. And it's not going to get the kind of recognition like during the Oscars that all this other stuff will. Uh, so Coda being nominated will do what it's supposed to do. And Coda's great. I loved it. Uh, but Come From Away is something special. And I think it falls into a weird category where it, it wouldn't compete for Best Picture like Coda can. Because it's not a, you know, a fictional film. It's not a it's not a feature, so it just it falls outside the parameters, outside the scope of what the best picture award is. So it's an opportunity for me to say, "Come from away is great. It's available to stream." And since we're doing best of streaming and not best picture on streaming, we're gonna go with "Come from away." Woohoo! Woohoo! Enjoy it, and you'll be happy to hear that in our next section, which is. Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't type it on there. I forgot it on here too, but I added it the last second. Netflix. And it's a good thing I did because I gave it to Tick Tick Boom. Ooh, Even though again, favorite. Power of the Dog and Don't Look Up are both nominated for Best Picture. I enjoy Tick Tick Boom more than either of those two movies. Same. Uh, Andrew Garfield is fantastic. It's Lin Manuel Miranda's directorial debut if I'm not mistaken, and so there's like this connection to the source material and to the story that it's telling that I felt more, much more than either of the other two films. Uh, and you can feel it, like it's got a big heart, and I think that's important. Uh, Andrew Garfield is nominated for Best Actor, 
at the Oscars. He's probably not going to win, but uh, he's nominated, and I'm happy for that. Tick, Tick, Boom is great. You can check it out on Netflix. And that'll move us into the next section, right? Yep. Weirdest movie. Weirdest movie. That is... Oh, my God. There's so many weird ones, right? There were a lot last year. Lamb was super weird. Uh, with Numi Rapace, where... <laughs> I forgot about that. A, a human lamb hybrid baby comes into their lives and kind of stirs up all kinds of personal history about a child that they lost. Super weird. Uh, I forgot. Where's my Where's my list? I wrote all this down. Uh, Gaia, the South African living psychedelic mushroom forest. Mm. Eco horror movie, also very crazy. Um, so the weirdest one, I'm gonna say. Oh, that's it's such, it's such a tight race, because Titan also one of my favorite films of this year is in that category. But that's what I was just gonna say. I'm surprised. Yeah, well, Titan's in there, and so is Annette. So those are the four that I narrowed it down to. If I had to choose one, is like. The weirdest, I would probably say Annette because it's like a hybrid musical. There's like a creepy marionette baby, uh, and it was made by a French filmmaker in conjunction with uh, the band Sparks, who they've always wanted to make this crazy movie, and so they finally like found the right time to get it done. And Annette's very interesting, uh, but it is a super hard pill to swallow. And even people that wanted to watch it because of Sparks uh, had a tough time with it because it is just like that out there. And that'll take us to the next category but i'm gonna say annette on weirdest but the next category is most original most original one of my favorite maybe my favorite category because annette is up there as being like one of the most original movies you can see uh the reason i gave it to titan is because i love that movie uh and because i didn't see anything else even remotely like it uh like, I would say that if you look at Annette, and that's like this avant-garde musical cinema hybrid, where Titan is more of like this just super intense, challenging film from Julia DeCorno, who did Raw, who has directed uh, episodes of Servant. And just like there's a... There's some sex with a car and some weird uh dancing and all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff it's it's like got some hyper violence in it too maybe not hyper violence but it is violent it reminded me of like tarantino in a way where i was like that's probably why i like it uh because it's like it seems like it's cut from that same cloth of just like intensity but it's got a sense of humor uh, but the sense of humor is very particular where you could watch that movie and like many people did when I went to see it in theaters, they just walked out and just like, nope, this ain't for me. 
And uh, even when you saw it the second time, people walked out. Yeah. Wow. It's intense. Like it's hard to watch in certain scenes. Yeah, once was enough for me. Yeah. Well, it's on Hulu, I think, right now. I, I want to say Hulu. I could be wrong. I feel like it's too heavy for Hulu. No, it's on some streaming service. Uh, I'll look it up right now since okay. I got the opportunity. Yep, with premium subscription, it's on Hulu right now. Uh, but it's like, yeah, there's a car crash and some like metal plates and uh, violence and sex and just all that stuff together and... You're not going to see anything else like that. but <laughs> That's true. You know, it, if that movie didn't exist, I would give it to Annette. Because Annette's crazy and super worth watching if you love cinema and just the art of filmmaking. So, what is next? Best sequel or prequel? Uh, so, I used to have this as one category... Which was best sequel, prequel, reboot, or remake. But with the way things are going in Hollywood, almost everything is a sequel, prequel, reboot, or remake. So I might as well just call that best picture. <laughs> uh, but so we, we separated it out. And we're going to do best sequel and best prequel. And so the ones that I had that were in this category were Candyman, Ghostbusters, Matrix, which everybody hated. But I didn't hate, surprisingly. And Spider-Man. Ooh, so I think this is tough. yeah but you know I think looking at what Spider-Man No Way Home did oh yeah it's a pretty easy win for Spider-Man in that category and honestly like of all the films I saw this year looking at the films that are the most enjoyable uh, Spider-Man's easily in the top five of those so I think it's pretty easy to say it was the best sequel uh by far. Yeah. You know, those other movies, like Candyman was a good sequel. Ghostbusters was good, but Ghostbusters also mined what the original Ghostbusters did. Like, that's why it was good, because it just, like, it fed off of its nostalgia of the first film that people loved. With Spider Man, it's like you had to go back into these other films that weren't even under the same production studio, bring these characters back, have the new writers write these stories for these older characters. Like, what they did was so impressive to me. Uh, and everybody loves Spider-Man. So, I don't see how it. I wouldn't give this to Spider-Man. I say Spider-Man should be nominated for Best Picture. I know. I agree, and I still want to watch it again. Yeah, we should. I'm kind of bummed we didn't see it again in the theaters. but I think it's still playing in some theaters. Really? Yeah. Because it of the oh no but it's not nominated it's not hmm, okay so anyway moving on into the second half of that is best reboot remake and that's tough because you've got Snyder Cut which is a reworking of a film that wasn't very good that struggled a lot uh, and so it improved on that and it brought it more back to what uh, it initially was intended to be. But for me, it really comes down to West Side Story and Dune. Uh, and it's really tough. Because when when we left West Side Story, I appreciated like the filmmaking, but I didn't really care for it. I was like, wow, it's like the directing is brilliant. The production design's amazing. All, all of like the technical elements of that film were very strong. 
And so, like, as a fan of filmmaking, I'm like, yeah, I appreciate all that. But I just didn't like it. Like, I didn't walk out of it and be like, oh, wow, like, I love West Side Story. Dune, on the other hand, is much, uh, like, the 80s Dune was, like, very colorful, very different. Uh, this this new Dune was, like, much more cerebral. Uh, maybe a little bit dry in comparison to West Side Story because there's so much world building to do. Like, when you walk into West Side Story, like, you kind of just, like, you know what's going on because the Romeo and Juliet type of story has been told over and over and over again. So, with Dune, like, you have to do so much establishing. And I think the, the main reason that people had a problem with it is because it goes to almost three hours and then it just leaves you, like, where the story finally gets to its most interesting. But, for me, Dune is the winner in that category of best reboot or remake. And I can't wait to see the second half of that because I think once the second half comes out and it's all one story, people will appreciate the first one more. And I love Dennis Villeneuve. He's always doing great stuff. And so to think that, like, you know, I mean, he's competing with Spielberg in this category, so it's very difficult, but uh, I'm gonna give it to Dune. I like Dune better. It's more up my alley, because I love sci-fi and that stuff, but at the same time, uh, I appreciate how much it changed what the original was or West Side Story is just a better version of the original if that makes sense yeah Dune does more different well yeah if you don't like West Side Story to begin with you're not gonna like this one it's just a different it's an upgraded version of the same thing bingo okay so what's next best soundtrack best soundtrack uh I guess I did that out of order but Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho has a great soundtrack. It's like part of the identity of that film. Uh, Edgar Wright always has strong soundtracks, uh, so I'm not really surprised. That's a movie that we liked. I didn't love it when we saw it, but it's a movie that we both liked. And that in hindsight, I feel like kind of took it on the chin. Like the costume design in that film is great. The production design is excellent. His directing and some of the things they did with how they used like false mirrors in that film is really impressive uh i think it kind of like it was leading you one direction and then kind of like it stops on a dime and goes another direction late in the movie which i understand it's like you don't want to like do exactly what the audience expects but it seems like the ending wasn't exactly like earned in the way that it maybe should have been so i can understand why it maybe is not held in such high regard but uh it was good i still liked it uh and it's very stylish, so I wish it had gotten more attention, but where I can give it attention is here. Yeah, I think it was fairly early in the year, too, which probably resulted in less attention. I think it was, like, middle of the year, like, end of summer or early fall, but I don't remember 100%. But Last Night in Soho's got an awesome soundtrack. I don't have the list in front of me, but here, I'll, I'll pull it up just so we can talk about it. Um... But it's got all kinds of classics. Uh, wasting time here, but... Dude, 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 it's my show, so I'm gonna do what I want. Uh, so yeah, you've got... Dusty Springfield, Celia Black, James Ray, uh, Sandy Shaw. And you've got uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who sings a version of Downtown. Dave D, Dozy Beaky Mick, and... Titch? Yeah. Um, 
Barry Ryan, Eloise. So it's like there's there's a lot of connective tissue too because like one of the characters is named Eloise, and then there's the song Eloise, and then one of the characters is Sandy, and one of the songs is sang by Sandy. And this is a movie where, like, uh, I think the song Last Night in Soho that inspired the movie was, if I remember the story correctly, it was Edgar Wright hanging out with Tarantino, and Tarantino had, like, played this song or was playing music from them, and that's how that title ended up being in the movie, so there's just, like, a lot of uh, music history that went into the soundtrack and the building of the film, and I think that integration makes it important, so we're gonna say Last Night in Soho wins best soundtrack, so come on down. All right, what's next? <laughs> Must see documentary. Must see documentary. I, you know, none of the documentaries really that are up for the Oscars are the ones that we saw, despite seeing so many documentaries. Uh, and I think the one that I liked the most was The Rescue. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because it's just such a crazy story, such a harrowing story of what these guys did to rescue these kids in this cave uh, in Thailand. And I think, you know, maybe it doesn't get some of the credit it deserves because of it needing reenactments in order to tell the story. Just because there wasn't like certain footage available. So they had to just work with what they did. But the, the story itself is incredible. And I would say maybe The Alpinist was another, like, great movie that I wanted to, like, do better. But maybe because of Free Solo, it was like, now we've already got one climbing movie that we uh, honored, so we're not going to go that route. Most likely, Flea is going to win, but uh, we have not seen that yet. What are the others nominated? Uh, Ascension, Attica, Summer of Soul... Which I heard good things, I just haven't seen it yet. It's on Hulu, I think, also, and Writing with Fire. Mm. So, like, re realistically, none of the documentaries that we spent our time watching this year, so... Sorry, Oscars. I'll have to catch up after the fact. But, you know what? I give it to what I want to give it to. Yeah. So I'm gonna say... The Rescue. Because yeah. it's crazy. Check it out. Like, what they did is unbelievable. And just put yourself in the shoes of those rescuers who are trying to do that. My goodness. Yeah. It gives me goosebumps. And we're here to talk about the ones that are not getting enough attention. Yeah, that's true. And there will be some crossover because, you know, I still like good movies and I have respect for filmmaking. So, yeah. All right. So what's next beyond a must-see documentary? Breakout performers. Breakout performers. That's right. So Jude Hill obviously leads... Uh, in Best Fa Belfast, uh, I think he won the BAFTA for Breakthrough Performer. Or maybe it was Critics' Choice. Uh, and with good reason. Yeah. But for me, I'm going to say Woody Norman from Come On, Come On. Mm. Jude Hill was very good, but he gets to be like a kid, you know? Like, he gets to basically just play a kid, and then everybody around him, are, like, takes on the actual, like, roles. Uh, in Come On, Come On... Woody Norman's character is also playing a kid, but, like, there's a lot of trauma going on that he's processing that isn't present. Uh, 
and like the way that he deals with it in that film is much different than Jude Hill's character uh, in Belfast. So I'm going to say Woody Norman and uh, I'm going to butcher her name, but the actress from Titan, Agathe Roussel. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I have to listen to it somewhere. Uh, but she's great. Like, I don't know how you could watch that movie and been like, yeah, that wasn't like a good performance. Like, that wasn't one of the best performances of the year, like what she does in that film. So, Titan, I'm going to give I'm going to give you some love wherever I can. And that's a category where I think uh, she deserves it. And I hope to see I hope to see more of her and uh, what's next? Breakout directors. Breakout director. Uh, so we had Edson Oda, Benjamin Cleary, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jameis Samuel, Michael Sarnowski. I should probably be reading the the movies that they did. So Edson Oda directed Nine Days, which I loved and didn't get a ton of credit. Benjamin Cleary directed Swan Song, which I liked as well. Another Apple original. Maggie Gyllenhaal, The Lost Daughter, which I think was a Netflix original. Uh, interesting, good performances. Jameis Samuel, uh, the super stylized Western, Harder They Fall, I really enjoyed as well. If you love Westerns, like, it's a, it's a reinvention of that genre a little bit. Uh, Michael Sarnowski for Pig, Rebecca Hall for Passing, and Lauren Hathaway for The Novice were the, the people that I brought into the category. For me, I'm going to say Edson Oda because primarily uh, budget restrictions, I would say. Like, he's able to pull off this very complex idea of the afterlife and like what it means to be alive and what it means to be human and tap into these very uh universal like human themes just realistically with just like a cast and a house in the middle of the desert you know and i always like minimalism and i always appreciate uh directors who are able to find their way to giving their story what it needs even in lieu of maybe having the budget to really like tell the kind of visual story that they want um but yeah it's an oda you win sir uh michael sarnowski honorable mention for pig but it's an oda take it down all right what's next comeback of the year Comeback of the year. Well, speaking of Michael Sarnowski and Pig, I'm giving the Comeback of the Year award to my man, Nick Cage. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you really pay attention, like, Nick Cage never went anywhere. Like, he's been doing his thing regardless. Uh, he just kind of ends up in movies that have... I don't know. They've become this thing of, like, you go to the movies to watch Nick Cage, like, freak out. And to, like, do his Nick Cage thing. Yeah. Uh, and to a certain extent, like, I get it. Like, that is the case. Like, he's got his whole new movie is based on, like, a caricature of him doing that. It's like its own genre now. Yeah, exactly. So what happened when we went to Pig is that I think a lot of people were there. It was sold out when we went on the opening night, which, you know, for a Nick Cage movie is surprising. But 
people were there, I think, to see him freak out and to do that. And then, like, so there was this energy when we were there early that, like, that's what people were expecting. And that never happens in the movie. Like, it's a very, very cerebral role for him. And it just showed that, like, he's still one of the very best actors in the world, given the right circumstances. It's just he takes on basically every role. And so, like, he's attached to all kinds of weird projects. I mean, like, there's so many movies that he's done on streaming right now where I watch it. And in the first few minutes, I'm like, wow, okay. (laughs) Whatever. I mean, I'm on board. We'll see how it goes. But uh, Pig was a good vehicle for him to, like, get back into the mainstream as a dramatic actor and remind people, like, why he won an Oscar so early in his career and why he was at one point the highest paid actor in the world during his uh, heyday with The Rock and Con Air and stuff like that. So, yeah, he he's still the man, and I can't wait for the unbearable weight of massive talent to come out uh, and just showcase Nick Cage being Nick Cage. It's going to be awesome. You're going to see that one multiple times, aren't you? For sure. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can I at least go once? You Yeah, come with me, and then I'll just go during the week. I'm going to burn up all of my A-list uh, <laughs> weekly viewings. <laughs> Whichever ones I have left over that week could be like, no, let's go see this again. But it's got Pedro Pascal. It actually looks good. Yeah, it does. It looks very enjoyable. Yeah. So I'm glad to see not only him having a resurgence where he can get that kind of role, but his willingness to be like, not take himself too seriously and understand like his body of work as well. So, yeah, I feel like it's very humbling for him to be like, yeah, this is a this is this is me. Yeah. And it's okay. <laughs> Nick Cage is a cool guy. What can yeah. I say? I All right. What's next? Best ensemble performance. Ooh. Best ensemble. Where did I write that down? Did I write it down is the question. Uh, did I write it down is the question. Uh, I guess I left it off of my spreadsheet, but... Do control find. Huh? Oops, wrong page. Yeah, I don't think I wrote it down, to be honest. But I am going to say French Dispatch. Mm. Because there's only a handful of the roles in that movie that are like, this is like what you would even consider a lead role. But because it's broken down into three story, each of those leads gets diluted a little bit more. But it's like, you know, you look at the cast in that movie and like, they're all just having fun like working with Wes Anderson and being friends like I don't see there's any way that that's not best ensemble uh there was something else that I had in mind I think earlier in the year but since I'm just going off the top of the head right now that's the first thing that comes to mind all right and it might have been French Dispatch which was a great movie by the way just didn't didn't get the love for some reason I don't know why it's like if you like Wes Anderson and all the stuff that he's done, and you watch that movie, and, like, it just doesn't click with you, it's like, I don't know how. Like, it's super Wes Anderson, like, uh, strange. That's a movie that should have been nominated for Best Picture. He should have been nominated for Best Director. It should have been in there for production design. Uh, So, yeah. Ensemble performance. Take it away. French Dispatch. All right. Moving on? Yep, moving on. Performers of the year. 
Performers of the Year. This is always one of my favorite categories because it's not necessarily about uh, just best actor or best actress. Like that's for me a, a performance specific uh, award. It goes directly to the role that was the best. And I guess I didn't write this one down on the spreadsheet either. I don't even know how it made it to your paper. Where did this script come from? It's I don't not know. coming from your page. No, it's not. Control um, find. Control find. Control find. I swear I had it on here. Uh, it was at the top. I see multiple tabs. Is it on a different tab at the bottom? Uh, no, that's last year's. Uh, but yeah, I think I know who it was. I'm going to give the performers of the year. You know, Andrew Garfield had a good year. He's nominated for Best Actor. He was great in Eyes of Tammy Faye. But I'm still going to give it to Adam Driver. Because when he did, he did Annette, Last Duel, House of Gucci. Like, he's great in all of them. And Annette specifically is just so weird and so challenging for him. That, for me, it's like his body of work throughout the course of his 2021 releases was just slightly ahead of Andrew Garfield's. Uh, but then maybe if I had seen Garfield, I think he did mainstream also, which didn't get good reviews. It got really bombed pretty bad by critics, but I love Andrew Garfield and that movie looked interesting. Uh, but I'm gonna give it to Driver, who becomes, I think, the first person to ever be a two-time Scheist Film Award winner. Ooh. So congratulations to Adam Driver doing it again um, and on the other side of that coin oh there it is I have it down here uh, the runners up in that category I'm sorry were Coleman Domingo who is coming on strong he was in Candyman he was in Zola he was in something else that I can't pop off the top of my head right this second and uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen the second uh, who also had a very strong year so I still think Adam Driver collectively had uh, th the best body of work, so he's gonna he's gonna stay there. And then uh, across from him, Zendaya. Yeah. She had a, she had a, a great year. She started it with Malcolm and Marie, which you know you saw a different side of her, a very adult, very uh, emotionally raw version of her. I mean, Euphoria, I think, started this year, technically, so 2022, season two. So yeah, I think it doesn't really get folded January. in there so much. Uh, but Spider-Man and she was in something else as well that for some reason is escaping me. Uh, but while I'm here clicking away on the computer, I might as well just look. It was Dune. Oh, yes, Dune. Sorry. Yeah. So... Not only did she have a good year, but she's in two of the highest profile movies of the year. So I, I, I don't see there's any way that I, I, I don't give it to her there. Uh, it's deserved. It is deserved. Uh, she's very good in Malcolm and Marie. So it's like if you want the just like the raw acting ability, Malcolm and Marie. Uh, if you want marketability, Dune. If you want to see her kind of like still on the... the kid side like having fun with it spider-man 
like she's good in all of them. So very versatile. Yeah. So Zendaya, uh, welcome to one of the most prestigious awards that we give <laughs> out here at this show. If we ever do a live version of this, uh, gotta honor all the people that had come before. Be like, this is the tenth annual, but the first live. Uh, anyway. I'm getting sidetracked, but you know it's my show, so I can get as sidetracked as I want. Uh, so what's what's the next category? Best use, best use of sound. Yeah. So last year, this we gave to uh, Sound of Metal. Oh yeah. And oddly enough, you see that the Oscars are now just giving out the best sound award, which they didn't do for a long time. And so one of the things that I at least innovated—I know they didn't copy me, but. When I started doing this, I was like, we're just not going to do sound editing and sound mixing. We're going to use best use of sound, like which movie utilizes its sound features the best. And uh, Dune is in that category for sure. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, I would say, is probably in there. West Side Story. Uh, But I think one for me that stood out in terms of its sound design, it was Antlers. That was Carrie Russell, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, just the way that the sound plays a factor in that movie uh, and what it brings to how they're telling the story. Whereas, I think there was a year where I... Like, the se- the the newest Blair Witch movie, like, had great sound design. Uh, but just because the movie didn't do well, like, it doesn't get recognized for that. Um, and so, like, Sound of Metal, like, it was all about the sound design. So I understand, like that aspect of it but uh yeah i'm gonna say antlers because i thought it was a very good entry just as a film uh even though you know it's not particularly talked about in uh high regard uh it was it was solid and you got jesse plemons and carrie russell uh and like this particular creature whatever uh very it has like a very distinct noise to it and a lot of this is like happening in the dark so the sound is important to how the story is told so it was one of the first ones i put on that list and there's a reason for that so we, we're going back to antlers all right yeah next up best yeah. original song best original song uh did we not did i not put director of the year on that list or did i did I move that down somewhere? Yes. Yeah? It's towards the end. Okay. Uh, not best director, but director of the year. Um, No, that's not on here. Okay. Well, we're going to stop right now and do that because it's going to Mr. Ridley Scott. Uh, <laughs> he did uh, House of Gucci and Last Duel. And uh, there was something else as well. But nonetheless, I think those two combined were... Oh, those are producer credits. Where's his director credits? Uh, Those two combined, I think, were good enough. But he also did uh, Roads to Freedom miniseries on TV. Uh, So I think for him, like, runner-up was Edgar Wright, who did... Last Night in Soho, and he had the Sparks Brothers documentary, which was fantastic as well. Uh, so, I mean, either of those guys could take it home. Uh, and it's hard because there's typically not a director who has, like, two releases in a calendar year. Uh, so it's always tough to 
continually award this because typically it's like if you have if you don't have two then it's tough for me to be like well your body of work throughout the course of the year is good enough because otherwise it's just like who's best director right so uh we're gonna say ridley scott honorable mention edgar wright and then we'll get to whatever i was supposed to be on just now best original song song yes it's gonna go probably to that beyonce song for uh king richard which Mm. yeah it plays at the end it could be uh what is it uh the don't talk about bruno is that what it's called yeah the encanto song yes from encanto uh it's catchy surprisingly i still haven't heard it because i haven't watched encanto uh but i think you get beyonce to do the soundtrack for the story about the williams sisters it's it seems like it lines up pretty well and it was a good song it's just it, it plays at a time where it's at the end of the the film so it's just it's kind of like displaced a little bit uh where Encanto's song is part of the film so it's gonna come down to i guess how you listen to it uh but yeah i'll go with beyonce i believe the song is called be alive uh yes be alive from king richard it's a good one oh i need to backtrack the other comeback performer of the year i wanted to give it to selma hayek selma she had a good year she did eternal she did hitman's wife's bodyguard and there was one other one that she also had on that list uh bear with me while i am unprepared for this there's too many things to keep track of it was oh yeah house of gucci she was in as well so she had a solid strong year she did bliss also with uh, i think it was owen wilson that was maybe an amazon original Mm. straight to streaming something so uh but again like it's not like Salma has ever left but i think this was a a good year for her to get back into like big high profile projects like eternals and house of gucci and uh hitman's wife's bodyguard which at the time it's like a big theatrical release with ryan reynolds so of course it's gonna have some eyeballs on it uh but yeah sequel right it was the sequel yeah she was in the first one too but yeah uh so there you go so Salma hayek because if you look at let's see so her 2021 she had one two three four and then uh she only had four between 2018 and 2020 so i think that warrants her getting that recognition and i put her on the list but then we started talking about nick cage and i got sidetracked about (laughs) how much i love nick cage and uh you know i grew up with sama hayek too and uh you know she deserves that love for bringing it back and i'm glad to see her uh, getting this kind of stuff so what's next best original score Ooh, that's a tough one for me it's either johnny greenwood for spencer or hans zimmer for dune and that's tough like both of these guys are basically like you know hans zimmer's been around forever and he's always at the top of his game he's never making a bad score uh, and then Johnny Greenwood also did the score for, pretty sure it was Power of the Dog, which is much different than the one for Spencer. But I remember watching Spencer and being like, this is an incredible score. Uh, he scored 
also uh, like there will be blood phantom thread which i thought he should have won for and i think he did not so yeah he did power the dog as well licorice pizza and did he not do spent no he did spencer too so he's the problem is he's competing with himself uh you know because he's got power the dog spencer and licorice pizza all this year but i think that tells you that he really is the best working composer right now he should win so if there's a composer of the year which i may need to include now uh moving forward i'll give that to johnny greenwood uh because i love his work uh and it's consistently excellent so moving on all right best costume design cruella absolutely yeah i think house of gucci close second uh spencer too i feel like yeah close I'm surprised that House of Gucci just got basically, like, snubbed across the board. But I would say, like, Last Night in Soho is a good contender. I love the costume design in Dune as well. West Side Story, Spencer. Uh, but for me, it's Cruella. Because it's, like I said, it's like the DNA of that film. It's its own character. Yeah, it's about her going to fashion school. Yeah. And, like, this, like competition of design so it's like you know last night in soho has a little bit of that as well but there's like a whole other thing going on where i feel like just cruella had it uh more so than these other films so even though there's some great costume work in these other films uh it's nothing like you're gonna see in cruella so i'm gonna give cruella some love where i can because uh i feel like it didn't get the love that it probably should have because it got released kind of early in the year so Cruella will take costume design. Next. Best production design. Ooh, that's close. That is close because, like, Nightmare Alley's got it in all the areas where it counts. Dune is also one where it's just, like, you just look at the look of the film and it's great. West Side Story as well. But for me, it was The French Dispatch. Uh, So many different styles at once. Uh, so many different methods of visual storytelling going on. Uh, so it's like, well, all these other films like definitely had their look and had their like reasons for being in that category. I think they're all singular. Like Dune looks great, but it's singular in its style. Uh, like, I think the same could be said for Nightmare Alley uh, or for like even Macbeth right like it looks great but it's singular in its style where if you look at what Wes Anderson did with the French Dispatch you know each story that he's telling is told in a different style visually so like that to me is better than anything that was done with a singular vision the fluidity of his storytelling that is able to be told that way uh like some of its animation, some of it they build with just like a singular set piece. Like the whole beginning of it is told in black and white. Uh, there's a scene late in the film where they're at like a cafe and the cafe is constructed where like the walls kind of like come apart and slide together. So it's like the fluidity of that moment where it just like opens up into the street scene. Like I, don't, I just I don't know why it didn't get the love that it deserved, but uh, I'm going to go production design to the french dispatch adam stockhausen you're the production designer you deserve the recognition for that absolutely okay so what's next uh best 
Visual effects. Ooh, VFX. So that basically for me comes down to Dune, Free Guy, and Spider-Man. Ooh. So Spider-Man obviously had it because you look at what Spider-Man's doing and there's no way that Spider-Man doesn't have it. But Dune has very good visual effects as well. It's a little more subtle. It's more uh, strategic and it still looks good. Uh, and then Free Guy, the whole thing is basically a video game. I'm gonna say Free Guy. It, it wasn't initially what I thought, but now that I'm thinking of all of them, uh, the way that it decides to tell its story through its visual effects, I think work very well for it. Uh, because it is basically a, a video game that comes to life. But, you know, if either of the other ones win, I'm not gonna be like, oh, that was incorrect. Yeah, it's a tough category this year. It is. And it's good to see. Because there's sometimes where I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I look and I see what gets nominated and I'm just like, okay. But at least this year, like, I can look at those and be like, alright, those are all fantastic. If any of those win, uh, congratulations to them. Because we're just at a stage where, like, visual effects are so good, it comes down to, I think, like, personal preference a lot more. Uh, so, yeah. What's after that one? What do we got next? Best cinematography. Ooh, that's that's always an interesting one. Greg Frazier and Dune. Very good. Uh, ooh, that is tough. It's a tough award to Power of the Dog had um, incredible cinematography. Uh, a lot of it is landscape cinematography, though. So as much as you know, I appreciate how kind of the, the countryside gets folded into the storytelling and like how how much I value that in terms of like westerns and how much it needs that like frontier look in order to to convey the right message. Uh, and that was Ari Wagner. I just I don't know that it was enough for me. Macbeth had some strong cinematography as well. But I think Greg Frazier with Dune for me. I think Dune thrives on its visual look as much, if not more, than these other films. So I don't see... I don't see those other ones as having significantly better cinematography, but the ones that are nominated is Macbeth, West Side Story. I mean, yeah, West Side Story, though, like... Spielberg, what he's able to do with the camera in that film is super impressive. But for my personal taste, I'm going to go with Greg Frazier and Dune. All right. So what's next? We're in we're in like the home stretch now. Yep. Best animated feature, which we haven't seen, so how do we talk about this one? Yeah, that's true. It's probably going to go to Flea, which is the documentary. Uh but what's nominated is Encanto, Flea, Luca, Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Rey and the Last Dragon. Uh, we have to get through these. My guess is that it's going to go to Flea, though, because it's like. It's a documentary that's animated and it's got some heavy subject matter. So. I don't know. I'll let you know if I check in on any of those. All right. But uh, my gut says Flea. Other than that, I couldn't tell you unprepared for this 
All right. Best international feature. Drive my car. As much as I love Titan, and I do, uh, the more I've sat with drive my car, the more I like it. Just because it's so unique in its presentation. What I loved about Titan was that it reminded me of Tarantino. Like, I was worried. It's like, what's going to happen Like when Tarantino stops making movies? And like these kind of movies just don't get made. Well, that question has been answered. There's people out there who will pick up the torch there. But when I watch Drive My Car, it's so uniquely itself in how it tells its story, uh, both visually and literally. Uh, and I think what I told you when I finished watching it, that it felt like the feeling when you stand in between two mirrors and just have like that infinite level of reflection or like it's an, a, a nesting doll of metaphors for what the story is and I think no other film is telling its story like that so I think it's pretty clearly going to be that I think not only do I choose would I choose that but I think it will also win for best feature or, be or best film or best foreign or uh, best foreign language film it could win best picture but I don't know I think because of the length and it being in Japanese like we were reading the uh, the anonymous ballot in Hollywood Reporter and this voter is just like I couldn't even make it through it you know so <laughs> you have people like that who are going to vote on the awards and vote on the most important awards like it's going to be hard for this movie with that kind of voter i would say i just don't understand how they allow people to vote without seeing everything it's america let's not go there <laughs> you went there you want an explanation like there is no prerequisite level of education required to vote in the academy you would hope that they because they have their own streaming service uh that you could just see everything but time is a constraint like even recreationally like i don't have time to see everything i see probably more than the voters do though to be honest because they're working professionals in the industry they probably have less time than i do so that's why i started doing this in the first place because it was very clear to me that the voters in the academy do not have time to watch everything and that was admitted in this particular interview um so I, I just feel that it's going to be difficult for Drive My Car to win based on those circumstances. Um, I would hope that you would abstain from a category that you don't have a vote in. You know? You mean like don't vote? Yeah. If you, if you don't have the, uh, like what we just did with animated feature, right? I was like, I think this will probably win. But I don't really have an answer for you because I didn't see any of these. Yeah, yeah. Right? So just abstain from voting if you don't have the time to put into it. But there's a lot of agendas at play. Um, but that's my reasoning as to why I think it probably won't win. Because sitting and watching it at home is more difficult. Where if you go to the theater, it's it's a different experience. So, like, you already, like, know you're going to be there for three hours. There's no, like, pause and go to the bathroom or any of that. So, it's a, I think it's a more connective experience in the theater. So, people that saw it in theaters, like, when I read them talk about it, like, they loved it. 
But when I see people talk about it, they watch it at home. It's like, oh, I couldn't make it through, you know? So Drive My Car is great, though. Check it out. It's it's very unique. Uh, what else? What's next? Best Adapted Screenplay. Ooh, what did I choose for Best Adapted? What did I choose? This is a horribly laid out. Uh, I think... For best adapted, what I see on my list, I'm gonna go with Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro and Kim Morgan. Because I love Nightmare Alley, it's nominated for best picture, which at the time I saw it, I didn't think it was gonna happen. I was like, I really like this movie, which means it's probably not gonna get nominated. <laughs> um, it was good. It was, and it stuck with me as much as like anything I've seen this year. Like actually gave me nightmares, which most movies do not. Um, so Guillermo got me with that one, like literally Nightmare Alley here. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. Pun intended. Um, I liked Zola a lot too because it was adapted from a series of tweets and a New York Times article. Oh yeah, I forgot. I thought that was 2020 for some reason. No, it's early this year. What have you done to the microphone? I don't know. What have you done? What have you done? It sounds fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we'll give adapted screenplay to Nightmare Alley. Uh, what? I, let me see what's actually up for adapted though. Coda, Drive My Car from the Murakami, uh, Dune, Lost Daughter, Power of the Dog. So not even Nightmare Alley is not even nominated for best adapted, but it's nominated for best picture. So go figure. Yeah, but these don't. The award nominations never make sense to me. Yeah, it's like we're going to have 10 best pictures and then we're just going to only expand that category and then you get this weird crossover where it's like, oh, one of the movies that has an adapted screenplay that's up for best picture isn't up for adapted screenplay. So doesn't make sense. But nope. anyway, Nightmare Alley, you win. What's next? Uh, best original screenplay. Original screenplay. Uh goodness i'm so disorganized but yeah i don't Where did even you I, create this list oh there it is from. it's like i have one screenplay award over here up left and then bottom right i don't know like i had a spreadsheet open and i tried it and i was just like oh, i'll just copy the spreadsheet and it'll be fine no terrible <laughs> terrible idea um so best original screenplay for me we the the contenders would be come on come on french dispatch Annette and now that I have seen it officially uh, Licorice Pizza mm. So the the actual contenders at the Oscars are worst person in the wor world Licorice Pizza King Richard Don't look up and Belfast uh, So for me best original screenplay, I would say Come on come on come on, come on yeah it's, it's not getting nearly the attention that it should have. It's one of the best movies this year, I think, pretty easily. It didn't um, get anything, right? Nope. No, no nominations at all. Nope, I don't think so. Nothing that I'm seeing anyway, so. Uh, yeah, and if, of the Oscar candidates, probably Licorice Pizza, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them just give it to Adam McKay for Don't Look Up because of... The content. Yeah, uh... But for me, say, like, come on, come on, with the runner-up to French Dispatch. But even French Dispatch, I think, is 
deserving in a way that maybe some of these other movies are not. Not to take anything away from these other films that have original screenplays, but just looking at the context of what the French Dispatch is versus what these other films are, and like you see how the story is told, like I just don't get it. So I don't know. Maybe people had enough of Wes Anderson. They're just like, nah, like he's won enough. We celebrate him enough. We're just gonna not do it this year. Can we all collectively agree to just not do it this year? And then there you go. It just negates the whole purpose of the awards. Uh, it. Uh, I guess it depends what the Oscars think their purpose is. That's true. What does the Academy believe that its purpose is? Well, they advertise as being, you know, like the ultimate recognition for the year of filmmaking. So. So yeah, if it's about well, if it's about recognition more than it's about achievement or merit. And those are all different things. Yeah, that's true. For me, I like the stuff that challenges uh, filmmaking, that pushes the art forward. So for me, I think The French Dispatch is one of the best movies across the board that does that this year. Mm-hmm. So, or last year. So it's hard for me to believe that like this wasn't up there really in many categories. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> best Supporting Actress. Ooh. That's a good one. For me, the person that got left out was Emma Thompson for Cruella. Like when I saw that, I'm like, she's so good in that movie. I just don't understand how she didn't make it other than it was too early and it's too commercial of a product. Uh, But other than that, like Jesse Buckley is good in Lost Daughter. Uh, Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. Judi Dench in Belfast. I don't even think Judi Dench was the best supporting actress in that movie that she's in. I thought that was Keatriana Belfi, so... It's just like, yeah, Judy Dench's name is available and like here, just have it. Uh Kirsten Dunst and Power of the Dog. So sorry, Angene Ellis for King Richard. Angene Ellis. It's the way I've heard it pronounced, but anyway. King Richard, supporting actress. So now what supporting actor? Yep. It's gonna go to Troy Kotzer for Coda. And I think deservedly so. As much as I love J.K. Simmons, I don't see his performance in being the Ricardos as in that category. Uh, it wasn't. I feel like it wasn't a big enough role in comparison. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that it has to be big. It's like it's what it brings to the other characters, and I think that's why Ellis wins because her performance like elevates Will Smith's performance, and it elevates the kids. Yeah, uh, and I think that's what the supporting role is ultimately supposed to do, is to support the lead role. And so, I think Troy Kotsur's role in Coda supports uh, the girl in the lead, who I can't think of her name right now, off the top of my head, and I feel bad because I can't just memorize all this stuff. Um, <laughs> Amelia Jones. But yeah, I think his performance helps elevate her in the lead. Uh, so that's ultimately, I think, how I view that award. So, give it to Troy Kutzer. It's okay. good. It's good. Yeah. Best Actress. Best Actress. Where do I even have this stuff written down is the question. I should have printed my own sheet. <laughs> it's seeming that way. Yeah. Oh, it's up here on the top. For me, like, I like Jessica Chastain, Eyes of Tammy Faye. 
the role that I thought probably didn't get enough love was Sharon Horgan in Together. Oh, yes. She's so good in that. She's so good. And I just, I didn't see why she didn't get nominated. Also, Rosamund Pike and I Care A Lot on Netflix. I mean, Rosamund Pike's just been knocking out, like, strong role after strong role after strong role, just, like, over and over and over again. Kind of getting the short end of the stick, maybe. Um, But her and Sharon Horgan, I think, deserve to be in that conversation. Rebecca Hall was really good in The Night House as well. But for me, it's between either Kristen Stewart or Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain has been winning so far. Um, but I think it's probably the best performance of Kristen Stewart's career. And it's a really hard role to play. And to see like what she's dealing with as the character, as Princess Diana and that. Um, so I love Jessica Chastain. But for me personally, I would give it to Kristen Stewart. That would get my vote. Which is so weird to say. I never thought we'd have that conversation. Yeah. But good for her. Yeah, good for her indeed. Uh, what else? Best actor. Best actor. Oh, thank God this is right next to it. Um, <laughs> similarly, James McAvoy should have gotten a little bit more love oh, yeah. for uh, Together. Adam Driver was not nominated for Annette, nor was Nicolas Cage for Pig, nor was Joaquin Phoenix for Come On, Come On, nor was Simon Rex for Red Rocket. So for the and neither was Dev Patel for Green Knight. So everybody that I put on my list of like what I thought were the best acting performances, not a single one of those people got nominated. Uh, so that's a little weird. Um, and the actual candidates are Javier Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, Will Smith, and Denzel Washington. Uh, so of the people that are nominated, it's going to go to Will Smith. Uh, after having seen all of the movies that are in question of those it's like i get cumberbatch i get garfield i get will smith denzel and Macbeth didn't do it for me uh i love denzel but i i don't think so and javier bardem was good in being the ricardos but nothing that i haven't seen from javier bardem before um simon rex and red rocket was just too unlikable of a character uh to get in there I, i i think will smith just the movie is like it's so much his movie uh and he deserves it i said it's like it's almost going to be a lifetime achievement award at this point we were talking about it earlier where his two other nominations came in years where he lost to denzel for training day and forrest whitaker for last king of scotland so it's like the other years he was nominated he just ran into legendary performances where it's like yeah it's tough to win even though he was in Ali and Pursuit of Happiness respectively in those two uh, nomination cycles so I think this is a good opportunity for him to win uh, Joaquin Phoenix deserves to be in there though first he of all, does come on. I know. but it's like oh he won for Joker and like okay get out of here now It's it, we need to spread it around a little bit um, and Simon Rex I think borderline but definitely different than any of the other performances because he really excels at being a character that you don't like which is tough to do and still be entertaining to watch um so yeah will smith take it down big guy all right best director director i'm gonna give to spielberg uh because West Side Story, the how it's made is what is so good about it. Uh, like his shot selection, 
the creativity that went into all of like the visual storytelling elements. Um, the production design is fantastic. And Spielberg's a genius. Like, you know, he's he's Steven Spielberg for a reason. Uh, and so ultimately, while I didn't like it wasn't my personal favorite movie or really even close, I wouldn't put it in my top 10, I don't think. But I appreciate the filmmaking uh, acumen of Spielberg and what he brought to the table there. Uh, so, yeah, Steven, take it down. And then what's next? That we just did Best Picture, and that's yep, it. Yep, Best Picture. Oh boy, that's tough because my Best Picture, like, uh, same thing, kind of with like actor, where all of my favorite movies were not the ones that got in. Uh, and I think looking at the ones that are actually nominated, it's going to be very difficult to choose from. Uh, of the ones that I liked, my favorite movies were probably Green Knight, Titan, Spider-Man, Cruella, Zola, French Dispatch, Come On, Come On, Nine Days, Annette, and Pig. And of those, I love Nine Days. Uh, I've seen it a couple times. Like I just thought it was doing something that no other movie's doing. Uh, beautifully told, very warm. Um, and Titan. Those are the two for me that like stand out the most this past year uh they're the only movies i think that i saw twice as well and that says a lot the fact that i'm gonna like spend my time to see these twice is a big investment when i have so many movies to watch so that's how i know that i really enjoyed it and in the theater yeah well the second time i watched nine days was uh at home but oh. i went to the theater by myself during the week to go watch that uh titan i saw twice in theaters uh, and then so your actual best picture candidates are Coda, Power of the Dog, Dune, Nightmare Alley, West Side Story, Don't Look Up, Liquor's Pizza, King Richard, Coda, Belfast, and Drive My Car. Uh, after seeing Drive My Car, I kind of hope that it wins, uh, just to piss people off a little bit. Um, but I also, I like Nightmare Alley, and so I wouldn't be upset to see that win. If I had to, like, put my vote to one of these, it would probably be Dune. Because Dune is up my alley more than the others. Uh, I would not be upset at all to see Coda win. Coda was a very heart... It's the most heartwarming movie of the year. So in that way, it reaches something that the other films don't, even though maybe they're trying to. Uh, Power of the Dog was surprising and was good. Uh strong in multiple areas i feel like dune was strong across the board as was nightmare alley west side story like i didn't think ansel angort was very good sorry like i thought he was just okay in the lead uh so it's like to me like west side story excelled in its production value more than anything uh don't look up is like a, a one-note joke with a great cast and the cast was fun to watch and everything and i like adam mckay but it just it didn't feel like anything different than he's already done before. And when I watched it, I didn't think it was going to be nominated for Best Picture. And then I saw that it like won the Golden Globe, I think, for Best Comedy. And I was surprised. But again, uh, it just felt like it was topical in a way that made it popular. Uh, Licorice Pizza, I could see also being Best Picture, like legitimately Best Picture for the same reason as drive my car because i think it'll piss people off because uh 
because it's not like conventional like i was explaining it earlier where uh it's a rom-com and so it's like boy meets girl there's push and pull like you know how the story ends right that's all rom-coms every single one of them goes the exact same way so you know your three beats uh but in licorice pizza i think the movie really finds itself when it's furthest away from that so when it gets to like the craziest edges of like what that story is it's at its best because it's just like the actors like having these like weird scenarios play out and you got really good performances and good chemistry out of these two that are like we're basically nobodies in, in terms of the acting world it was uh, cooper hoffman's first movie and it was Alana Haim's first movie as well, Haim. Uh, so I think it excels above its station, which I think is always good. King Richard is an actor's film, uh, I think. So ultimately not best picture. Good movie, but its performances define it more than the picture itself. John Bernthal is also great. Maybe could have been nominated for best supporting in that movie. Uh... Belfast was good, but I think having seen all the others, I like I understand it being nominated for Best Picture, but I also it took me a while to like get into it. Um, and then Drive My Car would be the last one on that list. So, yeah, I guess if I had to vote, it would probably be Dune, Nightmare Alley, and then I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if I love Dune that much. Is it's it's such a hard category this year because like i said the 10 movies that i like the most aren't in that category so it's really difficult for me to pick which one of these other ones was the best uh fuck it drive my car drive it for three hours with subtitles in japanese and uh see if you can make it because it's worth it on the other side um but yeah if i had to predict it I think it would be really hard for the Academy to justify it being one of the films that they didn't also nominate the director. So that leaves realistically only Licorice Pizza, Belfast, Power of the Dog, Drive My Car, and West Side Story. And of those, I would say it's between Drive My Car and Licorice Pizza. Yeah. So. If, if they want to be bold, go ahead and give it to like Dune or something that you didn't also nominate the director. I would go with Coda. Yeah, like I said, it was like Peanut Butter Falcon yeah. of a year or two ago, where it's like it's just the most heartwarming and it is a good, well-rounded movie with good performances. It just it doesn't excel in like the filmmaking category that some of these other ones do, right? Because it's like it doesn't have Spielberg at the helm. It doesn't have a huge budget to do special effects. So it has its limitations, but it still draws a ton out of like what is available. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And Amelia Jones has a good singing voice, too, so it's like she gets the bonus yeah, points for that. she does. I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of it. Uh, we already did the best of the rest category, which was all of my favorite films that didn't get nominated. Uh, and now I got to work on the print version of this while I listen to this and edit. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This is the first time we've done it. Uh on podcast I hope it's tolerable for you uh, <laughs> if not you can just go ahead and read the list 
and it's much easier. It's still a lot to get through, but it's faster. Uh, so if you're going to watch the Oscars, enjoy them. Uh, if you're not going to watch them, you know, I, I don't blame you. It, the ratings plummeted last year. It's been going down for like seven years straight, but it like fell off a cliff last year. So I get it. Is there a host this year? I don't even know. Interesting. I said they could just post the winners and that's all I need. Yeah, but it's all about the outfits. Yes, there's so much surrounding the Oscars that it's not just about who wins. It's not just about merit, right? Yeah. That's the point. Did you say Lin-Manuel Miranda doesn't get to go because his wife tested positive for COVID? Uh, well, on the one hand, I understand. On the second hand, I'm upset for him. Yeah. I feel bad for him, but yeah. Oh, well, he'll be fine. Hopefully his wife is okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Happy non-football Sunday. Happy Happy Oscar Sunday. Happy Oscar Sunday. (laughs) All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help. So if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way, too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and have fun no matter where you get your movies. <laughs>